When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, people who enjoy just a good adventure, a good story, there is a lot in here to like. It, it is a funny film, it is a romantic film, I think it does a lot of good stuff in there. I'm kind of very proud of it for being as good and as fun as it is when it is a smallish British kind of production mm. trying to pass off as something a lot bigger, and I think it does. <laughs> you know, I think, um, I, think it, I think it achieves that. It's one of those ones that if I had friends with like 11, 12 year old kids and they were at a loose end mm. and they'd watched all the Marvels and all the Disneys and what have you, I'd be like, check this old film out guys <laughs> it's a solid it's a solid solid piece and for what it is as mm. well yeah it goes high up on the list and I'd much prefer it to Princess Bride hey everybody welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast today I'm joined by Daryl hello Matt hey guys and Ethan Hunt Helen hello Ethan Helen Hunt <laughs> And we're going to be talking about <laughs> Stardust. Did you watch the wrong film? That's going to link into the other film we're recording this session. But hey, <laughs> you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. <laughs> thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter. At FlixWatcherPod. And on Instagram, at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Matt and Daryl. If you please could say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hello, I'm Daryl Bear. Um, I'm co-host on the Is Paul Dano OK podcast as well as co-host on Sudden Double Deep. That's N plus one podcast since you last came on. Mm, Both yeah. of you. More yes. Well, yes, because, yeah, my name is Matt Brothers, and along with Daryl, I am also co-host of the Is Paul Dano OK hey. uh, <laughs> podcast. And now, yes, um, regular third co-host on Sudden Double Deep and still going on Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast. So I've somehow tripled... Uh, I'm now running triple figures, so, well, three. <laughs> That's not triple figures. <laughs> it's not the same thing, is it? <laughs> oh, God, I have no time to uh, do anything. Yeah. Daryl's a teacher thing, and that's... Uh, I'm- that's not triple figures. I don't know how to teach. Oh, I don't know how to say now. You're well into adulthood. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, triple, singular, three. <laughs> but, yeah, the, all three all three shows are very different and yeah. all have very different kind of recording and release schedules, so that works out quite well. It's not like I'm on three shows that all release weekly or all come around at the same time. So without that kind of a difference there, I think I would just be a bit more of a puddle. Um, but I think this is also a good thing about remote records from the past year i mean i'm i'm back in daryl's house now uh, which Ooh. is lovely and um, i did that noise that makes no sense <laughs> <laughs> we both sat here in a state of undress no and um and but that's been great because I, I imagine there's tons of people in the past year 2020 that have started podcasts themselves um all been able to guest on more and i think it's brought a lot more people together in terms of who to get for guests and who you can grab 
So yeah, in this kind of day and age, it's uh, not unfeasible to go for three. Why not? Well, I mean, we've we've had some fun uh, doing this in the, in the lockdown. Obviously, it's, it's not been a good situation for people, but we've had some really interesting shows where, like in one extreme case, we were recording one guy who's north places, of New Zealand places. and the other guy was in Oklahoma. Um, oh, and that's just the kind of thing you can't do um, in, in uh, well, in, in, in old normal. Um, so it has kind of given those opportunities, I think. And like I said, a lot of podcasts have come out of it. And um, some of them are generally quite interesting. Uh, but before we go into this film for today, we should say that you guys have both been on for previous episodes yeah. uh, mm-hmm. of Flix Watcher. Uh, Matt was on for uh, Friday Night Lights and La La Land, uh, one of yes. Helen's favourite films. Um, and... <laughs> And sudden double deep in the form of Jeanette and Daryl brought us um, Agnes Varda. I can't remember what this faces places, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, well, well, well welcomed in the pod booth. And we also had um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So, we guys, did. if you're interested in listening to any of the what, what these guys have got to say and uh, want to hear more from them from Flixwatcher, just look for those films. But we're talking today. Oh, sorry, I should be asking you about this new podcast you've started. Is Paul Dano Dano okay? Um, is, he? is he? Yes, we're still we're still trying to find this out. Um, so yeah, this was one that was born out of last lockdown, basically, in, in that in that little gap where we had sort of September October time where we could momentarily get back in touch. Um, we I think we we're recording a Sunday of Deep, and we got onto the subject of actor filmography podcasts and uh, who would be who would be other good ones to do and what would the angle be? And with Paul Dano, it was a case of he's got such. Um, an eclectic filmography he's one of those Mm. guys who if you you know you might not know him but you certainly know of his work you might not know he's in certain things and then Mm -hmm. when we tell you you're like oh of course and we were like well he gets beaten up in everything right he's he he goes through the ringer so we're like well does he like does he get beaten up in everything so let's get into that and he's got such a great range of stuff where he's got massive films like there'll be blood and prisoners and leading roles like swiss army man and uh, love and mercy mm-hmm. um and then he's just in a ton of random stuff there's there's like there's there's a weird sort of late noughties period like post there will be blood where he does a lot of weird things like li- little films again you know he, he goes up and down little films like explicit ills or weapons or light in the sufferer like you know blank faces all around and for good reason because these are very kind of obscure films and then um he's just made the move into directing with wildlife and more TV with War and Peace and Escape at Danamora. And of course, he's got the Batman coming out next year. So, yep. Ruby Sparks as well, you know, um, makes Cut Off, both mm-hmm. of those with with his his partner as well. Um, and yeah, like we've, I mean, season one was, was you know, pretty amazing out the gate in terms of the, the weird and wonderful mix we had in terms of. Yeah, because uh, tell us about the, the mix, because no, it's not chronological, is it? What, how do you, no. how have you chosen the. <laughs> Matt? Well, that yeah, that was it because we looked at and we think if we did this chronologically it's just a lot of, well some weird sort of TV movies to begin with, uh, the odd kind of good, you know, Sundance indie that he's in as a child um, and then just kind of this little slew of like odd things until you hit stuff like Girl Next Door, Little Miss Sunshine, mm. There'll Be Blood, which do come quite early in his career really um, but chronologically it would mean that our first season would be pretty tough going from the offset so we mix it up where we try to pick like the big ones you know and yeah. the little ones you don't and kind of mix up the seasons that way so we try and start big and end big and fill in the gaps um and then sprinkle it out with some bonuses that look at the things like his tv work or his music with his band that's, mook which is a really good sopranos musical side was, project was, and as, the as sopranos, a big yeah. sopranos fan, i was like what i mean that's what i've looked about listening listen to your show is that 
Um, it's like, shit, he was in Sopranos. And as soon as you say Paul Donner's in Sopranos, I like, I know exactly which episode he's in. <laughs> but if someone, it just wasn't there. And um, one thing that's funny for me is listening to your um, Listen Miss Sunshine episode. Daryl, first of all, how the hell have you not watched Listen Miss Sunshine up until that point? But mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those... <laughs> He's one of those actors that once you realize his name, then you can like almost like trace back all the films you've seen him in because mm-hmm. but you haven't seen him, but, but you just don't recognize him and you don't, you don't um, feature him in your, in your brain up until that point. Mm. Yeah, um, he's a strange mix. He's, he, he falls somewhere between being genuinely chameleonic and mm. more of like a character actor, what you expect of somebody maybe a bit older than him taking these kind of roles because he's, even though he does get beaten up a lot, like he's, he's, I don't think he's rarely typecast. He doesn't feel like the type we would discussing this recently i think where (laughs) kind of like i think for some people if you say paul dano they think kind of like weaselly potential serial killer weird guy um but then in stuff like okja you know as the leader of this animal liberation Mm. front kind of like a group a group of protesters he's quite suave he's he's strutting around new york city in a suit and he looks damn good so but now of course you know he's got he's playing the riddler and the upcoming batman so he's going back to I'm assuming more prisoners, Denny Villeneuve's mm. Zodiac yeah, we, star, we, it seems. I was thinking we, he's probably one of our most frequent actors because we've had um, Prisoners, uh, uh-huh. Okja, and uh, there's another one that's just off the top of my head. Um, I'll, I'll come to me later on. But he's, he's been at least three of our... Oh, yeah, and um, Looper. Um, yeah. So he's been at least three episodes of ours. But, uh, well, guys, yeah. if you're interested in learning more about Paul Dano Dano, um, and at the end of the season, I am assured... Daryl and Matthew will tell you how to say his surname. Uh, that's the final episode. Um, <laughs> go and find their podcast. But today we're talking about Stardust. Uh, Matt, this is your choice, Stardust. Can yes. you tell us, first of all, why you chose it? And then you have a 60-second countdown, which I'm just going to bring up on my phone. Uh, oh God, oh God. To tell us um, the synopsis. Um, well, I picked this because I think it's it's a really interesting fantasy film. And it's kind of it kind of came out of the gate as a bit of like a cult film in that it was kind of this reverent kind of fantasy comedy which is notoriously quite hard to get right but with this huge sprawling cast and Neil Gaiman adaptation and it never felt like it did had much impact but I think it's getting more reverence now as it goes on so maybe it's finding its feet as a cult film and basically I worked on it for two weeks back in the day so that was kind of a chance to be like oh yeah I've got a lot of cool memories on there um, so I felt quite close to quite a lot of the sequences here so it was my first kind of job on any any big film set um, back in 2006 so okay. yeah good chance to to reminisce and i do have a soft spot for it you know as a as an experience uh, and as a film and okay let's go to the synopsis right. hold on i just need to get the timer ready three two one go so th- this is a fantasy film about a young man called tristan who lives in the town of wall which borders a fantasy land the kingdom of stormhold and the king has seven sons who are vying to be uh, the new king. So it essentially becomes a MacGuffin chase where this star falls from the sky and takes the form of Claire Danes. So Tristan crosses the wall into this land to retrieve the star, this, uh, this woman, to bring back to the woman he's infatuated with back at home. The king's sons are out to try and get the necklace that's on her neck that knocked her out of the sky in the first place to become king. And at the same time, there's a trio of witches led by Michelle Pfeiffer who are on the hunt for the star as well because they want to eat her heart to gain everlasting life. Fair play. Fair play. Um, you said it's a bit of a cult classic and I was, I remember when I first watched this, I just kind of thought, well, let's go to the cinema. What's on? Um, Stardust. Sure, why not? Um, and... It is, it has, like I say, it's, got, it's getting a bit of reverence. And I think everyone who saw it 
well, I don't know, we'll find out in the course of this maybe, um, people were just generally kind of surprised by it. I mean, Helen, uh, Daryl, what, what were your thoughts on stuff? Have you seen it before, first of all? And what was your, what was your thoughts the first time you saw it versus the most recent one for Flixwatcher? Daryl. First time I saw this was, um, I think I saw this as a DVD, a DVD rental. Um, How old is yeah, 2007, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this would have been a DVD rental, <laughs> probably from um, like Love Film or something like that back yeah. in the day. And uh, God, I feel old saying that. It's weird, right? Um, and yeah, I really, really liked it. So it, I just, it did boggle my mind when I checked out Letterboxd and realized that I'd not seen it since. So I was like, I must have seen it since I started a Letterboxd account in 2012. Nope. I was like, that seems odd because I remember really enjoying it as well. And yeah, just, yeah, great fun. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, great fun, Helen. So I definitely did not see this when it, it came out because I, I wasn't in the country. So I specifically know I did not. And then I just remember that everyone was just kind of talking about it. Like my dad was like, oh, you really loved it. Like you've got to see it. Like you've got to see De Niro in it. Like it's really great. And other people as well and I think like Empire and everyone like really loved it and there was just kind of like this huge buzz around Goldman and Vaughan like the team together like doing that and I watched it and I was a bit like oh (laughs) not for me (laughs) and then when you picked it I thought right this is it I'm gonna watch it I'm gonna get it and I watched it I was like it's not for me (laughs) (laughs) so what is it though because I mean well um well, Goldman Vaughan, they, they they work together on Kickass, and they you know they're a good combination. Um, I think the thing for me is the reason it kind of would have passed my radar is because it's it's what it's kind of a weird kind of um, setup as a kids' fantasy, and that's not really John. You know, that's not really John I would have gone to see. And I think I can't. I knew kind of Ricky Gervais was in it. I didn't, uh, and I knew Claire. I think Claire Danes was probably the biggest draw for me because I was I was a huge fan of My So Called Life, mm. of which there was only one season. And Romeo and Juliet to a certain extent, but I liked her more from my so-called life. I was like, oh, Claire Danes is still kicking about. It'll be good to see what she's in. And for me, just like, there was this film with all these actors in it. And I was like, I know them, I know them. There's Adam Buxton as a, as a, as a ghost and there's David Williams. It's like, this is a weird kind of US, UK melange of people in, in one film. What's Robert De Niro doing there with, next to Dexter Fletcher? <laughs> um, so that, that was all kind of a really interesting piece about how this kind of thing came together. But also I just really just enjoyed it as a romp of a, mm. of a, of a film. Well, yeah, I don't know how they really kind of pushed it, you know, because whether, you know, because the, the cast is really stacked, but it's not like kind of being led as like a mm. new De Niro flick or Pfeiffer, but it is a really good cast this across the This was originally a, a Gilliam thing, wasn't it? I can yeah. completely imagine that. Mm. And it seems so, weird for, for Vaughan to do this now, looking at his most recent stuff. Yeah, because this would have been after Layer Cake for him, but before Kicker. So I think it's the first script Jane Goldman did, especially with him. Um and yeah, so I don't know how much they pushed it as, you know, a big Neil Gaiman adaptation. This is a couple of years before Coraline comes out as well. Um, so I'm not sure how many other bits of his work had come out on the big screen on such scale mm. up until now. But I think it's quite like a lightweight one of his books anyway. It is just kind of like, you know, a light fantasy romp. And um, I think it was always the tone of this that never quite, they never quite knew what to, to push with because I think... I can't remember from the trailers whether they're trying to push it as a comedy or as a fantasy or as a family film. Mm. And I think people found where it sat with them when they saw it. And then it was often like the opposite of what had been sold to them. So it's like, oh, I enjoy this as a family film. I thought it was a comedy or I like it as a comedy. I thought it was a fantasy. You know, so it does toe that line 
really strangely. And I think the way that you do have these big Hollywood actors mixing with kind of, you know, Mark Heap and, and people off British yeah. TV that we love is yeah. uh, is a strange mix. And, and you know, and legends like Peter O'Toole has a cameo here not long before he died. Um, and Mark Strong, you know, so regular Vaughn player, Mark Strong, like um, propping up here. Is he in Layer Cake? I'm not sure, but if, if Jason, not, then... Uh, Jason Fleming as well. Jason Fleming, yeah, yeah Dexter yeah. Fletcher, all these guys. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's strange. Like, I don't know how much DNA of this is in a lot of Vaughn's other stuff, because, yeah, Kick-Ass and then Kingsman's kind of where he's landed. But I think he does do these kind of essentially small British films that attempt to be bigger than they are, and it's quite an ambition that I quite like, because these are always pretty cheap. Because, obviously, like, I worked on, on this, but... A few years later, I, I work on Kick-Ass 2 as well, which isn't Vaughn. Uh, but even that cost less than the first Kick-Ass. And it was always like we were making some sort of scrappy indie film. I may mean, say scrappy, it was like 25 million, which is nothing to sniff at. But for something that was a, a, a sequel, B, a superhero film, you know, like a summer film, it's, um, you know, you, you definitely feel it when you're on the ground and you have no craft surfaces. I mean, oh, what am I to do? <laughs> When I was watching this time around, I was thinking, what were the guys in the on the flying pirate ship thinking that they they were they were in scenes with De Niro when they are at best UK yeah, character actors at worst they're just like day playing extras yeah but yeah they are, they're on the scene all the time with Robert De Niro and he's having he's having fun I mean I think Robert De Niro's role in this is hasn't aged that well no and how he's played it I remember the time the first time I'm thinking it was, it was hilarious but now I think that you know, dude. There's, no, there's ways to do this and there's ways to do this and this isn't a way to do it in at least in 2021 eyes but yeah the mix of sarah alexander next to michelle pfeiffer that's not something i've seen <laughs> it's just it's just bizarre so i think i'm, I'm almost bowled over by how this has been put together as well as the film it's itself and i don't know if that's a, a, a way to view it yeah i heard that i think there's a bit of trivia that you know the studio or the producers were really against charlie cox as the lead because he was pretty much an unknown but then once they cast De Niro and Pfeiffer they were like all right you can have your unknown as a lead and you know I was so glad to see him kind of get a second win with Daredevil and be so excellent in it because I remember this as being like oh he's meant to be the next kind of big thing and you know directly after this you know he didn't kind of have a big stratospheric leading man in no. films type thing he was great was in Boardwalk Empire season two yeah yeah two three great years in yeah I thought he was really good in that yeah mm. well, so I mean what was it for you Helen that you you didn't it didn't ring true I just thought it was a bit boring, to be honest. I mean, it really, 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 really reminds me of The Princess Bride, which we've reviewed before. And that's one that I know, like, so many people love, but it just does not connect with me. So it's just, I think... We have a kinship, you and I. Because <laughs> I, me and The Princess Bride, we'd never, we'd never had that thing, man. Yeah, I get it. I totally get that. It it's like, I do you... like this, though, Helen. So you are out on a limb on your own with this. I, I hate to... I hate to do that to it's you. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to get the princess knew I would be man. coming into this. But Seriously. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's things I do enjoy, like Mark Strong. But is it like fairy tale fantasy? Is that kind of is that kind of not do it for you in general? So Tangled, Frozen, kind of thing. Is that? Uh, I don't think I've. I'm not sure I've seen Tangled. I might have seen it. I'm not sure, and I definitely haven't seen Frozen. So maybe I think this is maybe like this and westerns are the two genres mm. that I just don't just didn't really do it for me but yeah like i say i re really enjoy mark strong in absolutely anything and yeah. like i just do really like him in this so the fact that he's kind of like in it for 
the two hours plus runtime, mm. um, you know, I kind of stuck with it. But yeah, I was really kind of wanting the time to have elapsed and maybe to have got it this time around. But yeah, I think I'm just going to say it's just not for me. I think it's really hard to do sort of essentially like twee fairy tale, like very sincere stories like this in live action. Because like, you know, it starts off, you know, like Ian McKellen voiceover and it's kind of very much like once upon a time. And um, everyone's so kind of like bright eyed and bushy tailed in it as well. Like Sienna Miller's kind of really giving a role as this kind of, you know, the town... Bell? Town, yes, that's it. Town Bell. Yeah. <laughs> and then even from, you know, you got down to little sort of baby Henry Cavill as this real cad. Yeah. Um, that was a shock to me. I did yeah. not remember he was in this. Yeah. yeah. And then Charlie Cox is really is giving it. Film? I think he he's in the Tudors, isn't he? Which is around the same oh, time. the TV show, though. The TV show, yeah. So yeah. film-wise, yeah, I don't know about Henry Cavill. Yeah. But he looks, he looks so young here. Mm. Um, Everyone looks so young. Like... Everyone. <laughs> He's just being so, yeah, everyone's so, so sincere with it, I think. And I think that's, um, if you can't, you know, if, if the comedy isn't, isn't up a certain level or there isn't enough sort of like stakes and like plot progression, like just being really twee and sincere can kind of leave a bit of taste in the mouth for some people. Um, I just think it's a strange tone all round because mm. like y- your opening salvo is a-, a young guy crossing this is this wall into this enchanted kingdom and the first thing he does is cops off with the first w- woman <laughs> of age that he meets and who's a captive who's a captive <laughs> who's who's yeah absolutely a captive and and then nine months later out pops charlie cox and, and you know that's such a strange way to start because you're starting with somebody who you think oh this is my protagonist and if you know if you obviously don't know charlie cox and adam and you may have seen the trailer once or twice you just go oh this is my leading man mm. oh no now he's grown up and it's... Oh, do you summer. mean Ben Barnes? Yeah. The young version of his... Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it then it switches up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very odd. And there's just the tone all round. There's, there's, I wouldn't call it a horniness exactly, but there is a definite, like every single... <laughs> sexual energy. Sexual energy. And yeah, mostly revolving around every single female character in this. Because the women are either decrepit and elderly, witchy... Mm. witchy or they are of age and it's yeah it's a really weird and then you've got michelle pfeiffer who's both <laughs> it's it's really odd it yeah i'm sure this was a a, a, a certain awakening for, for certain people watching this that's for sure yeah very odd very odd but then you've got charlie cox as a, as the, the the one that you know yeah he's he's a suave mofo in this for sure i was thinking it's kind of like a reverse um death becomes her well, it's kind of it had, <laughs> sorry. It had elements of death becomes her in them with, hmm. with um, swallowing the star and and, become, and becoming of age for uh, Michelle Pfeiffer again. I thought it was quite a fun play with every every time she uses a spell, she loses some youth yeah. as <laughs> she gets older. It's interesting how there's kind of all these elements of you know the law of whatever this fantasy world is, and we see snippets of it. So there's whatever the witches are going through. Then there's this cool thing with the king and like you know the line of succession is all about murdering your brothers and mm. that could be a film in itself like a kind of um, battle royale to like whittle down who the heir's gonna be and seeing all the the ghosts of the previously dead brothers and how they died it's either like they're frozen or they're on fire or they've been squished and that's really fun and, and they kind of act as a bit of like a sort of a chorus throughout the film just popping up and sort of commentating and uh yeah they must have had a fun few days in front of the green screen <laughs> yeah i did it i did it I, I, that that just makes me laugh each time I see it. Cause, I mean, David Williams is probably the biggest person on that of the other brothers now, uh, but then he's 
a lot smaller character. But Mark Heap has still still makes me laugh that he, he almost survived the longest out of the bullies. Yeah. And they play the old gag of uh, Mark, Mark Strong uh, played the old gag of, nope, I didn't swallow the poison. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is very Princess Bride, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, they're totally right about the how everything's a bit horny, Daryl, because yeah, there's that bit where Mark Heap's like, Perving through the walls, that stuff going on. He's like, "Oh, guys, get a load of this!" Oh, and just seeps <laughs> yeah. off through the wall again. It's not like it's a like a fantasy that you could really aim at. It's this isn't like this ain't your mama's fantasy. It's not something that your kids could really see. Like, like this is like tweens and up, which then puts it in a really weird place because you know you're not Disney-fied. You're not games of Game of Thronesing it. You're kind <laughs> of you're in this weird slightly neutered but oddly aroused area of like you know everything's a bit confusing hair's growing in all the wrong places and it's just an odd <laughs> an odd sausage of a of a tone but it feels very mm. gamer-esque which oddly enough feels gilliam-esque as well yeah which is yeah no you know no surprise that he was he started on this and then did what did brothers bloom and just went no i've done i've done this i don't need i, I don't need to do this twice brothers grim brothers what did I say? Bloom. Yeah. Grim. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I keep Too many this. brothers. <laughs> Too many brothers, yeah. I think for me, there's also, there's there's like a lack of real peril. There's never, up until like kind of the end sort but of... But brothers are dying left, right battle. and centre. He gets thrown out of a window within the first five minutes. But that's kind of comedic peril. This is like, <laughs> there's no peril to like the hero's kind of mission at any real point. I mean, he gets turned into a mouse, but then he's released again mm. there's there's no mm. like like fake peril like you're just like well it's gonna happen it might be a bit slow but it's probably gonna happen there's no that i was expecting some kind of like danger or genuine like ah! and it was just a bit like oh so yeah they're all right yeah <laughs> yeah they're doing that well yeah the entire stakes is essentially he's going on this mission to get laid um he just wants to get laid with Sienna Miller. And that kind of, she just creates the ticking clock, which is, you know, in two days or whatever it is, I'm going to marry Henry Cavill. So he's kind of got this um, time limit to bring back Yvain. Um But that is essentially why he's doing it. And then, yeah. They, it's almost like he's going for entirely the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. And it's not really a hero's journey, is it? And he'll learn the value of what really matters in... Which uh, is Claire Danes. It is Claire Danes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. Yeah, so you have this kind of like odd couple romance at the start when they start off very bickery at first. And um, yeah, I think Evane's an interesting one because she's, for a lot of the film, not much more than like a prop rather than a character with agency. Like she's mm. she's the object that they're getting. And she, her kind of a journey... A literal object. Yeah, yeah, and her kind of journey is just coming to realise that she loves him. And I wish she had more something more central to do because I love these like MacGuffin chase movies. Like it reminds me more of almost like Midnight Run than Princess Bride, where it's like you've got these different subsects of characters going after the same thing or similar things. And she's yeah. at the centre of all of it. So I think it could be really cool if she became really crucial to stuff a lot more, when really it's kind of a coincidence that she's the star physically that the witches want, and she is also in possession of the stone that the, the, the princes want. But she's just literally kind of, you know, tied up and dragged around <laughs> by Has Tristan. a few baths. What about the the, float, the flying pirate ship with uh, Robert De Niro? What do you guys make of that side of things? And how does Captain Robert De Niro sit in your crawl uh, in this day and age? Hmm. Yeah, it just wouldn't wash now, would it? Really? That's mm. you know, watching that and knowing Rupert Everett's in this film, isn't he? He's one of the ghosts. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, he would have been great 
as yeah as that pirate captain you get a rupert everett in there playing that role you know i think that would be I just it seemed like the De Niro thing was stunt casting yeah yeah because that's the only other way the joke can go isn't it in a way if it's like if you have someone like um rupert everett playing butch and, yeah. he, and then he he goes the other way and you're like <laughs> i'm already oh, yeah. laughing at that concept yeah. i think that's great whereas they went the other way and goes we're gonna have robert de niro who you know or imagine to be this butch guy and then show that he's putting on that front for his men um yeah it's very kind of iffy but it's i think it's um like it's nicely kind of handled in the sense that you know he's just doing it because he you know because he loves his men really and they yeah. love him as well and it kind of all comes out as like you know don't worry, we we love you, no matter like who you are, Captain. And does that sense of kind of like family amongst them is quite a nice mini subplot in itself. Even though, yeah, De Niro's cranking up the the camp, but it mm. does feel that kind of camp thing because you would say like, oh, this is the film where you know, famed hard man, you know, Rob De Niro just kind of but it's camps like it up. Kevin Klein in In and Out levels of camp. When he mm. when he gets there, and you're just like, look, that shit didn't wash in 1997. It doesn't wash in 2007. Are we not learning any lessons here? Good grief. I think yeah. it's getting it's getting better and better. But then, uh, I mean, one film I haven't seen is Prom, where um, James Corden um, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. wore gay faces, as some people um, refer to as, and just took it to the nth degree where you just don't need to do that. Um, so it, I think it's getting rarer and rarer. Mm. And at least this has the excuse of being like nearly 15 years old now, at least, you which, know. Which is still no time. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it just it shouldn't be the punch. It shouldn't be the punchline. Mm. Is mm. is the thing I can understand. I can get that. Obviously, he's in his world and he needs to maybe be in the closet and hide his hide his, his personalities. But I don't feel like that should, that should be the punchline. Yeah. Absolutely. Outside of that, it's a very straight film, isn't it? Mm. Even though you know it is in this world and everything. But no, it's fun because, yeah, all the pirate ship stuff was all the stuff I worked on when I was there. So I, I was there for like two weeks. It was, um, uh, I was at uni. At the... De Niro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's good. He's, he's, he's a good actor, funny enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I was at uni and we had, you know, six weeks of work experience to do or something. And through no fault of my own, I managed to get on this. Like a friend of mine, I don't even know how, I think he just had someone he knew on the on the production said oh they need a bunch of essentially unpaid runners basically um because it was so cheap so me and like six other people off my course all went and so i kind of stayed in this little hostel with two others and we drove in every day and it was all all pinewood on one of the big stages and they kind of had the ship built mm -hmm. um and you could just pop up through the hollow core get onto the deck so all the deck was on one stage and then on another stage was all the interiors which was cool. And um, yeah, it was fun. We were just kind of in charge of essentially manning the air con. Um, <laughs> so this is this is the glamour of, is of that, filmmaking. So if I go on IMDb, are you going to be there as air con manager? I'm there as something. It might just be uncredited runner. But it's like, so this old stage, I think it was our stage, which is quite near the top. It's it's an old thing where when the sh when the door the big doors are shut and they're rolling sound and they have all the lights on, the place gets super hot. And it's, so, it's such an old like barn of a stage there's no other way of controlling the, the 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 air so as soon as they're rolling and the doors are down temperature starts to rise so the second they call cut they have to rise the open these big doors up and then mm -hmm. there's this massive external air conditioning machine with these massive sort of tubes that we kind of had to wheel in and just blast the the stage so we were doing that and then they needed two of us in, in the rafters up where the lights are at all times to do the opposite where we had to close a little fire door and then open it and have the exhaust sort of a big aircon pipe go out the door so it's just like death up there we're just like passing out but it was really cool because we just kind of like we'd climb these ladders and like 
hop about the top of the stage like the Phantom of the Opera or something and just kind of just just be up there and watch and watch them do everything from a bird's eye view um, and then do things like go around with food trays and things like that um, but it was great and then when they had all the stuff in the rain of course the rain machine so we had to set up like a little warm room for people to dry off in and things like that um, yeah it's really real movie magic actually outside of you know the, the mix of the down to the earth oh this is what it actually entails you know stop and starting and big aircon units but then you know oh i'm on like you know it's a flying pirate ship collecting lightning that's pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) oh dude that sounds it sounds like good fun let's head to the scores hello folks i'm sam and i'm martin and every week for the last five years we've got together to talk about the musician tom waits He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette <laughs> and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hall, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, he's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flixwatcher. So make sure you check those episodes out and when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. Welcome to our Flixwatcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You can have decimal places if you wish and uh, we'll start with you, please, Matt, with your recommendability. Recommendability? Yeah, I... I'll go as high as a four for this because I think, as I've said, I think it's hard to tell where this will land of people. And I think, you know, people who enjoy just a good adventure, a good story, there is a lot in here to like. It, it is a funny film. It is a romantic film. I think it does a lot of good stuff in there. So I don't want to go as far as saying, as demeaning it as being like, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, baby's first fantasy or whatever. But I think it, it, I think it has a lot of entry levels for a lot of ages, you know, because as yeah. you said, you know, it's very much in a mature state itself without being... 15 or R-rated, you know. So I think it is in a unique space. So, yeah, I'll give it a four. Uh, Daryl? Yeah, I think a four sounds sounds reasonable for, for this. I, it's one I definitely, you know, def- one I definitely recommend. Um, it's, uh, it, yeah, it definitely, it kind of, it's one of those ones that if I had friends with like 11, 12-year-old kids and they were at a loose end mm. and they'd watched all the Marvels and all the Disneys and what have you, I'd be like, Check this old film out, guys. <laughs> it's oh, a funny film, but it is, though, isn't it? It totally oh. is. Uh, it's the one thing, like you know, teaching in a college and you're teaching sixteen-year-olds. You know that that'll 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 earn you. <laughs> Sound feel old? Oh, Niles Barkley. Yeah, my uh, my dad used to listen to that. Oh my god, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that Kanye. Like a, yeah, that sounds my, like a real my granddad listens to the Kanye. Like, oh my word. Yeah, literal conversations I've had with human beings that are like tiny human beings in training. I call them. Um, I've had a few know, of those. It's, it's definitely, re- definitely recommend this. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be for everybody, which is why it won't get the five. You know, it's not one I could just, you know, kind of hand over to everyone. But, but yeah, no, this is it's a solid. It's a solid, solid piece, and for what it is as mm. well. Yeah, it goes high up on the list, and I much prefer it to Princess Bride. I'm kind of very proud of it for like um, being as good and as fun as it is when it is essentially, you know, it's this smallish British kind of production trying to pass off as something a lot bigger and I think it does you know I think um I think it, I think it achieves that and it's it's you know you don't see many full genre UK films really um especially big IP adaptations like this I think more it's now in the TV space with things like the uh the yeah, his dark materials totally TV, and things yeah TV miniseries wouldn't it yeah yeah 
in this in this current iteration. Uh, Helen, recommendability. Yeah, not as high as you guys. I just think it was a bit boring. I, thought, I think I just was wanting a bit too much from it. A bit more, a bit more action, a bit more energy, and I think I was expecting to be a lot funnier as well. Um, but it didn't really land for me. So yeah, I'm going to give it a three. No, I, I think there's a lot more. There's more films I'd recommend definitely ahead of this for kind of you know youngish children um, before so I go to where this. Where would you go? I'd go with like you know your Ghostbusters and like pretty much all of your kind of Spielbergs and Indiana Jones and all of that before I'd come near this. Yeah, I'm going to go for four point one. I don't know who I'd, I don't know who I wouldn't recommend it to, but I don't know who specifically I would do because I think that's I think that's the that's the hard bit with it, isn't it? And it sounds like in the marketing that's probably what confused me as well and didn't you know draw me to it initially I was, even though even though i was a big fan of ricky gervais i think he was he was like front and center of the marketing campaign that i saw mm. i was just like oh, i was going to see this film ricky gervais's in <laughs> and then like, yeah this, this must is... have been like peak kind of extras time yeah, yeah. exactly so it's like oh this is a really enjoy- this is this is really good fun so maybe it's just the, the element of surprise that's taken me and and taken me you know 15 years since watching for the first time to now uh, where I'm still surprised. It's like this is yeah, this is better than I thought it was going to be. So I think that's the recommendation I give to people. If someone says, "Should I watch Stardust?" I'm like, "Yeah, why not?" Um, but I can wholeheartedly concede uh, people like Helen uh, that they might not enjoy it. But you know, I'd still say watch it because I think there's something, there's some pieces to take away from from it. Repeat viewing score, Matt. So yeah, I guess I'll I'll pop it down a bit. I mean, I think Daryl, as you've discovered, repeat viewing works well for this. Um, but I'll go a bit lower at maybe like a 3.7, I guess. Um, I think it's one of those ones where it could very definitely be somebody's favourite film. I can see someone mm. seeing it at the right time, at the right age, would be one that they can revisit a lot. And I think having the multiple kind of plot threads and the big cast, I think there's a lot to discover. And, you know, there's probably lots of people's different favourite favorite characters in there. So I think, yeah, I think it's one that definitely... You can see it being like put on a lot by parents of kids a certain age maybe i don't know or if the kids themselves are a certain age ones that they always go back to like i don't quite know what the where the area is but i can see it being kind of a firm favorite so i mean yeah i haven't, I haven't seen it in quite a quite a while um but uh yeah it's good to remember that i do enjoy it so much mm. yeah i think you've, you kind of hit on something there i think maybe there is there is a generation of people who people young younger people than us that that kind of hold <laughs> this into like that this is their princess bride this is their nostalgia thing mm. like i guarantee yeah that, yeah they'll be the ones going oh yeah yeah i remember this. I, there, there is going to be a slew of of young women and men to whom charlie cox when he when he reveals himself mm. on that ship as the you know that that was that was a whole like oh hello um and and yeah like this is i think this this has that to it i you know there are most probably funko pops for this film this is one of those films but you know collect all the ghosts yeah i think this is i think this is one in another <laughs> however many years time 6 years time we'll be getting all of those think piece articles about oh, 20 years of stardust because yeah, I think it, it certainly hit a, a certain you know about people a certain way. For me, I think you know I was slightly too old, mm. definitely too old to have had that kind of relationship with it. But I just mm. remember just digging it, digging the take that song as well. Yeah, I <laughs> I, well, there's one take that song I loved, um, never forget. That always ended up that was always ended my student union nights, and 
me and the guys and girls who hadn't pulled would get in a circle at the end of the night <laughs> and, and dance together to that. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, and that, you know, I 100% love that song, but outside of that, I didn't really like to take that, but I was, I was so surprised. I was like, I like that. I, I like this song. I mm. like this take that song. Well, this um, is their big reunion, wasn't it? Mm, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I liked some more from this album as well. I can't remember the rest of the songs, but I was like, I, I like these other songs from Take That. Mm. What is happening? Um, yeah, so what's your score? What's your repeating score for this? I'm, like, I'm going to give it a three. Yeah, I, I would definitely be watching oh, it again with before, you know, it was not going to take me 14 or 15 more years in which to watch this again. I'll, I'll watch it again soon, no doubt. Uh, Helen? Does it take that song in it? <laughs> End credits, end, yeah. yeah. Does that take that? Mm. Yeah, Rule the World. Mm. I think it's Rule the World. I don't know yeah. names. I just know what, yeah, I like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is so, it's very quickly becoming even further away from kind of like my target market. Um, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not going to watch this again, but I did, I'm glad that you forced me to watch it again um, <laughs> in the nicest way. <laughs> uh, 1.5. Yeah, I'm going to watch this again. I'll watch it. I'm sure I'll watch it every two or three years, which is, seems to be the kind of rotation at the moment. I think like, like a good fun romp. Small screen score, Matt. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I'll go almost sort of down the middle, like a three point four. Um. Because yeah, I mean, how well do you think that the special effects hold up from we, back yeah, when we first saw it to now? I was just going to say that because yeah, I mean, Daryl talking off mic about you know how small screen score these days can mean anything from like watching on your phone or your laptop to a really good sort of four K TV. So it depends where it holds up. But I think I think this is something that does not so much show its age with its special effects just shows what it was what it was working with to begin with <laughs> like there's that little bit early on where there's little small elephants in a cage and they're kind of bizarre mm. and, they're, and they're, they almost look like animatic cig that's yeah that's cig cgi yeah and the eyeball straight after yeah and like you know the ghost effects it's all quite but it all kind of adds to its charm um so there's, there's a few moments of kind of big green screen nurse like with the the pirate ship and everything but then there are parts like I really love the kind of final showdown in the um, in the witch's lair, uh, and it's a case of kind of like the idea and the conception and the execution almost going above and beyond um, the visual effects capability. So the whole voodoo doll effect on Mark Strong as he as he fighting and you know as he drowns and then using his corpse as like a sort of puppet fighter is a really cool idea, and that's that's done really well. That's really yeah. kind of seamless. Just him shrugging, like all the other guys yeah. looking at him, <laughs> he's like, "What's not, like, me. Well, it's not me?" <laughs> Great. <laughs> Uh, Daryl, sorry, what did you say? Three point four. Three point four. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, small screen score. I look um, cards on the table. I watched the first thirty minutes of this on my phone heading into work on Tuesday <laughs> um, because I was like, I, I don't have time to. I don't have time. Uh, so yeah, I watched the first half hour there. I didn't do the same on the way back, and then caught the rest on on the telly. And it went from I went from like a you know. Uh, iPhone 8s to to 50 inch TV, and you know what? Totally fine. You know, I didn't catch this at the cinema. My first viewing was on standard definition DVD. Um, so for me, I'm gonna give us a four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite high. Helen, oh, I'm gonna give it a five. I think this kind of <laughs> is perfect for like watch on a Sunday afternoon kind of <laughs> TV on your TV vibes. Um, I don't, I don't. And maybe you'd want to go to a watch along if there was a group of you. I'm not really sure. Is it kind it of that? It doesn't sort of feel thing? like it's going to make it into the Prince Charles no. lineup no. or anything. I don't. We haven't. Th- those unless fans aren't a, ready unless yet. Unless there's a Matthew Vaughan season. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Miss that one. Um, yeah, I think I think it's like perfect TV afternoon vibes. So five small screen. It's Easter yeah, weekend it viewing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting it for five as well. I think this is, as Helen says, it's kind of lounging around uh, sofa sofa vibes having on. Um, I did see it at the cinema. But I can't remember the visuals being what engaged me. I think everything else was what brought me into it. Um, and I don't think I need to be in the room with other people to to enjoy it. So mm. I don't need mm. that vibe, that collective uh, viewing yeah. vibe to get the most out of it either. Uh, yeah. Engagement score. My first... Um, Go I was just going to say, my first viewing of this in the cinema, I'm, I remember quite vividly because I, I just took like a whole bunch of friends along as if it was my own premiere. I was like, well, you see, I, I helped create <laughs> this thing. And so we had like a whole row of people, which was quite fun. It should um, be the same, Matthew Vaughan and Jane Goldman <laughs> and Matthew Brooks. Exactly, um, I mean, that's it. <laughs> I said, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> I'll go uncredited, it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, engagement score, Matt. Uh, engagement score, yeah, I'll go pretty high again. I'll go... Like a 4.2, I think. Like, I think it really zips along. Um, and as I said, with the multiple plot threads, it really kind of draws you in. It's just the stakes being quite low, I think, in general, um, and the lack of peril for sure. And the witches, you know, Michelle Fiverr, she's she's having a ball here. She's having mm. so much fun. Um, but, you know, their evil plan is essentially they just want to be young again. And it just happens that it's going to require the death of, you know, this uh, character that uh, Tristan's falling for. Um but yeah, still plenty going on. And I think the way it all kind of culminates towards the end with with uh, Tristan being there and the princess being there and the witches all fighting off, I think it's a good kind of climax. And then, of course, you know, reveal of Tristan being like a half-brother as well and becoming uh, heir to the kingdom. It's a great kind of proper fairy tale ending there. So I missed your score, 4.2. 4.2. <laughs> uh, Daryl? I'm going to go for a three. Um, yeah, it was. it's... it's it's fun. I enjoyed it. Again, I'll definitely see it again at some point. But, you know, even what again, watching it, when I had to, you know, shut this down as I hit Old Street and I had to make a run to, <laughs> to work, I wasn't like, oh, no, I need to know what's happening next. I didn't spend the entire day rocking back and forth, gripping the, the chair, just like, I need to know what happens to Charlie Cox. <laughs> no, it just didn't happen that way. I was totally, totally engaged with it, but... But but yeah, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. But if I had stopped it halfway through and never went back because life happened, then also so be it. <laughs> and leading on to that, uh, I don't really rarely do this, but I watched it in two bits because the first hour, nothing really happens. And I was like, oh, I've got another hour of this. I'm going to have to come back to it. It is long. A brother yeah. falls out the window, gets thrown out the window. Yeah, like death. really, really at the start. And then as soon as they get into the, the witch's lair, like all of the best things happen in that bit. Like there's the being used as a voodoo puppet. There's genuine peril. There's more, there's the wolves eating a witch mm-hmm. to death, which is like, yeah. It's the firing the lightning out of a little container. Yeah. So like, Everything up until that point, I was a bit like, oh, they're still riding horses. <laughs> they're still flying on that ship. And then all this happens. I'm like, yeah. And there's the really funny bits as well. And like the bit where he's suffocating in the water is like, great. Just like, why couldn't it have been a bit more like that? Spread out a bit along there. Probably about 2.5 engagement. Uh, I'm getting up for three. Um, I think it's, it's a lazy afternoon at home watching it and... Not in the background, but you just don't need to kind of pay attention, um, and you pick things up if you, if you go if you fall fall asleep, you you know you pick it up the next day. 
from when from when you uh, when we when you wake up. So I think it's that kind of vibe. Um, that gives us an overall score of three point five eight seven five zero. Uh, pretty, pretty good. I thought it was going to be higher. Great, yeah. Higher. My overall score for the film would have been like 3.5, uh, you know, yeah, three and a half stars. So, yeah. Matt, it was 3.82500. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Mathematically, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I'm the highest scorer here with over four. Do we head to Twitter? Yes. Cool. Okay, everyone who's listening, do find us on Twitter. We are at FlitzWatcherPod. Uh, we do put out some film banter during the week, but also ahead of recording, we put out tweets like this. We're reviewing Stardust with... SDD Film Podcast and Matt Brothers 2 from Is Paul Dano Dano Okay? Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and a score out of five stars for a shout out on Flitzwatcher. And we had a couple of short tweets here. Matt, do you want to take the first one? Yes, this is from Hallmark of Greatness. And they say, one of my wife's favorite films, only let down by some questionable choices by De Niro and the inclusion of Ricky Gervais, but a fun family <laughs> romp. Four golden Fabios out of five. I don't get the Fabio quote there. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, maybe that's just a hallmark thing. Hallmark appearance. Thank you very much. Uh, Daryl. Next up on here, we have Tess, or Trent on Tess. Um, I really enjoyed it. Probably a four. I didn't expect to like it, but I did. Thank you very much. I mean, it's honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, da- guys, can you tell us where we can find you online? Tell us where we can find is Paul Dano Dano okay? And, well, say goodbye to the listeners. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we're everywhere across Twitter and Instagram on Is Paul Dano Okay? Um, <laughs> by now, our first season is complete. So we've got eight main episodes covering films like Okja, Cowboys and Aliens, uh, Little Miss Sunshine, and some of his more smaller unknown stuff that we really um, we really dug. Stuff like Being Flynn and L.I.E., which was his early Sundance kind of very gritty drama. With some great guests there as well. Yeah, some fantastic guests. We've got Ayanna Murray, we've got Nick DeSemlin, uh, Eleanor Parker from Bygones, Petros from Caged In, like lots of great people. LSD. LSD, we've got Liam from Spotlight, my buddy. Um, yeah, lots of great guys. So that's all season one all done now. And then season two so will start on the 5th of July with Swiss Army Man with um, Daisy Edwards from W Rated Podcast. So we'll have a lot more great films than that. So we'll do the similar thing, cover about eight main films, and then our bonuses for season two are going to be War and Peace, <laughs> the entire BBC series. <laughs> oh, still sounds mad every time you say it. But yeah. And distill that into one episode. Well, fair enough. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have thank you, you on. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood audio tell them flicks what she sent you you just heard a stripped media production